Hey, good morning, guys. Oh, sorry, super loud. Uh, my name's PT. Like Andy said, I'm one of the pastoral interns here. Uh, super just excited and grateful to, and really just humbled to be with you guys this morning. I uh, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. Uh, I know that uh, my wife and I and my son, Ben, we had a really enjoyable time just celebrating Jesus and celebrating Christmas over the past couple days. Um, like Andy said, we've been in the Psalms this Advent season. We get to continue that uh, this morning in Psalm 97. And as you guys make your way there, if you are already there, what the psalmist is going to come, just kind of put the cards out on the table right away, is he's going to come and he's going to call and bid us to find joy. I don't know if you noticed that as we were kind of doing that responsive reading together, but the psalmist comes and he says, we ought to find joy. He says, the story of Christmas Ultimately, even really the story of Christianity is one that is marked by joy, joy. And, and as I thought about that this past week, it was, it was kind of humorous to me. I was thinking about how often I see that term used, particularly in this holiday season, right? I mean, how many times as you think about it, have you seen the word joy uh, all, everywhere in our culture. Our culture is kind of obsessed with using that this season. I mean, just think about the advertisements and the signs. Unwrap the joy, right? Or, or, or if you think about like even Dunkin' Donuts, like the, 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 right there on the front of their cup, they've got in big red letters, joy. And I'm not making a stab at, at holiday cups, right? Maybe I should just come out and say right away, like Christians don't have issue with holiday cups, I'm just saying, like, our culture loves to play on that. And I think ultimately what the psalmist is going to tell us is that, is that in every single human being, there's this craving, there's this longing, there's this desire for joy, to this pursuit for happiness that we all long for. And yet for so many of us, even, even as we think about it, and if you think about the reality of those ads and those advertisements and, and these marketing schemes, what they're playing on is the fact that for so many of us, though we desperately desire joy and happiness in our lives, so often it seems to just utterly pervade our grasp. I mean, think about it. Just think about the New York, New York Times bestseller list. You've got your best life now. The power of positive thinking, where they're asking questions like, is something missing in your life? Is life just passing you by and you don't even notice? Well, here's these 10 principles. Here's these five things that you can implement into your life, and you'll finally have that happiness that you've been craving for. Or even just in regular life, if you think about the like commercials that come in on TV, I think I'm going to need some water. My mouth's super dry. Sorry. Friends, like fr friends let friends drink at church. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, one moment. Even if you think about it, really in the advertisements in normal life, not just in the holiday season, it's like, if you just would purchase this specific type of deodorant, you'll finally get that girl that you've been searching for, and you'll be happy. Or, or fill in the blank with whatever it is, a truck, a type of truck, and you'll be that man that you've been wanting to be, or a house, whatever it is, fill in the blank, and, and it's these, these advertisements, these marketers are playing on our longing, our desire to be happy. And yet for so many of us, it just seems to pervade our grasp. For many of us sitting right here in this room, even though we may, as followers of Jesus, know that this is something that ought to mark our lives, for so many of us, it's woefully lacking in our experience. 
This is why coming on the heels of Christmas and with New Year's now on the horizon, many of us are thinking back on our past year of 2015 and we're saying, I'm going to make a resolution to do things differently in the new year. And so on January 1st, we're saying, I'm going to start dieting this way. I'm going to eat this type of food, and I'm going to exercise X amount of days. Or, or, or maybe for you, it's I'm going to get outside more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to work less and be with family more. Whatever it is, at the heart of that is this longing, this desire for us to be happy, to find joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And the psalmist actually comes into the midst of those desires, into the midst of those longings, and he says, yeah. You're absolutely right. Like you were created for joy. You were created to find joy and to be happy, but we're looking for it in all of the wrong places. And so the psalmist, he wants to come into those longings and he wants to speak to us. He wants to first call us to true joy. Then he's going to talk to us about the struggle that we have to find true joy. And then lastly, he's going to speak to us about the source for true joy. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. We're going to look at those three things as we dig into Psalm 97. We're going to see the call to true joy, the struggle for true joy, and then we're going to look at the, the, the ultimate source of true joy. So let's look at this passage, Psalm 97, verse 1. I just kind of want to set up the context as the psalmist calls us to joy so that you know that I'm not just making this up. He's talking about joy. He says, Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns. I don't know if it's like this in every Bible, but in mine, the Lord is in all caps right there. That's different than the second use of the Lord in verse 5, where it's in all lowercase. And that's because it's two different words in the language. In the original Hebrew language, the Lord in this verse 1 is the word Yahweh. It's less of a title. It's less of, of like master king Lord. It's more of a name. God reveals himself to us personally by name. And, he, and the psalmist says, the Lord Yahweh by name, he reigns. Let the earth rejoice. There, we see it for the first time. Rejoice. Let the many coastlands, let the distant islands be glad. And in the same way that the psalm begins, it actually ends. Jump down with me to verse 12. It says, rejoice in Yahweh, O you righteous. Same call as verse 1, and give thanks to his holy name. So we see right from the very beginning that this, this psalm begins and ends with the call to find joy, to rejoice, to be glad. And then throughout, the psalm is just littered with it. You see a couple examples of it. Look at verse 8. Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. And then in verse 11, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. And so really... Just so you know, I'm not making it up. The psalmist is, is coming and he's bidding and he's calling us to find joy, to be glad. But he doesn't just kind of issue this command and say, now go do it. Go be joyful. Go be glad, right? Because he knows we'd all fail at that. And so he actually says, man, I want to talk about, one, the struggle in finding that and actually experiencing that as many of us know and wrestle with maybe on a daily basis. And then he wants to talk about the source of true joy. How can we actually come and experience that and know that and see that realized in our lives? And so let's look at the struggle for true joy. In verse 2, the psalmist continues. 
He says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before Yahweh, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens pro- proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. What's happening in verses 2 through 6 is the psalmist is saying, in light of this call to rejoice in the reign and the, and the rule of God, the psalmist is saying, like, here's what God looks like. Here's who he is. He says, clouds and thick darkness are around him. Righteousness and justice are, are the foundation of his throne. Fires before him. Lightnings, his lightnings light up the world. The mountains melt like wax. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And all the peoples see his glory. What the author's doing is he's showing us the character of who God is. And he's saying he's glorious. He's full of wonder and majesty. Like you can't miss it. Everyone sees it. All the people see his glory as the heavens declare his righteousness. It's like a lightning thunderstorm when it's pitch black at night. You can't but not see the lightning flashes throughout the sky. And what the psalmist is saying is it's the same with the glory of God. The glory of God and the glorious, beautiful reality of his nature and his character is so glorious, all the peoples of the earth see it. But then notice what he does in the very next verse. So interesting. He says, all worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. When I first read that, I was like, kind of, whoa, that's a really interesting transition there. Like, you're talking about the glory and the nature and the character of who God is, and then all of a sudden, you're like, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols without, like, giving us any warning. And at first, I thought it was kind of odd, but then as I studied it, as I reflected upon it, and what I realized is that what the author was doing here was he was, he was actually bringing to the fore kind of not just leaving in the background, but actually bringing up into clear focus that even though all the peoples see the glorious and beautiful reality of God's character and his nature, the reality is that for every single one of us sitting in this room, our propensity is not to respond appropriately to that glory, but rather to respond in pursuing and chasing after all these false things. And so the psalmist just wants to talk to us about the struggle for true joy. And ultimately what he's telling us right here in verse 7 is that even though God is glorious and supremely beautiful, as human beings, because of sin, our natural disposition is not to find our joy, our satisfaction, our fulfillment in God, but rather to pursue our fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in things that God made. Rather than finding it in our maker, we distort and twist and find it in the things that God has made. The ultimate struggle for true joy lies in our propensity for false worship. The true struggle for for real, genuine joy lies in our propensity toward false worship. We talk about this kind of a lot as a church, but ultimately what what the psalmist is talking about is worship. See, the, the result of sin, the result of the fall is not that we cease to worship, but that our worship is misdirected to lesser things that ultimately cannot satisfy. As I thought about this this past week, I was reminded of uh, this past summer, actually. 
Uh, this past summer, my wife Rachel and I and our son Banyan, uh, are, we're from Florida, and our families all still live in Florida, or most of them, and so we were going back to Florida. We've been here now in Colorado for a few years, and it's landlocked, right? I mean, we try and get to rivers and to lakes and to things like that as often as we can, but we really treasure getting to go back to Florida because the bodies of water just don't compare here. And so we're going back there, and we're like pumped and amped and excited to just be able to go to the beach, and particularly in my wife's hometown. She's from Sarasota, Florida. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it's actually rated, you could look it up, check me out afterwards, as the top beach in the entire nation, Siesta Key. Siesta Key in Sarasota, Florida. That's where my wife is from. And we're like, dude, we're going to go to Siesta Key. We're going to hang out on the beach. We're going to play in the sand. We're going to swim at the water. And we're like, oh, we have Banyan with us. We get to take him with us this time. It's going to be great. And so we t- we're going to the beach. We got all our tools to make sand castles. We got our swim trunks on. And we, we make our way to the beach. And we're like, Banyan, come on. And he's like about 10 months. So we're like taking him along with us. We set down the blankets. We set down the towels. And uh, we're getting ready to build some sandcastles. All of a sudden, we look over and we see Banyan. He's not playing in the sand. He's eating the sand. <laughs> He's literally eating the sand. And so the entire time, man, we, we're like, no, Banyan, you don't eat the sand. You play in the sand. You build sandcastles or you swim around the sand. You, you don't eat the sand. <laughs> and so we spend our whole time as we're in the, 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 literally the top beach in the nation. We're talking like powdered sugar sand. And just copious amounts of it. Like you can play as much frisbee and bocce ball as you want. You're not interfering with anyone. It's incredible. And, and here Banyan is, our son, eating the sand instead of playing in it. And, and it actually reminded me that of, 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 of a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this. He's talking about just the promise of reward of the joy that comes in life with God. He says, it should be up on the screen. And if we... Consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. He's talking about the radical call to follow Jesus, to deny self and find yourself in him and the joy that comes through that. He says, if we consider that, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted Creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He says, we are far too easily pleased. The reason why I throughout this week, the reason why you, throughout your lives, find it so hard to actually grasp a hold of what you so desperately desire and long for, joy, is because we misplace and misdirect where we ought to find it. The reason why we struggle so much for true joy is because every single one of us from birth has a propensity not to follow God, but to follow other things that God has made. We have a propensity towards false worship, and that's every single one of us in this room. And so the psalmist just wants to come in here and warn us of that and say, don't think that you would see God's glory and just naturally respond appropriately to that with worship. Instead, he says, no, the natural propensity, every single one of our natural disposition is instead for false worship. 
and to seek satisfaction in, in the things that God has made rather than the God who made us. We exchange the glory of the creator for the lesser false glory and empty glory of the things that God has created. And it's as silly when we do that, when we pursue like sex and success and when we pursue just the comforts that we find in this world through the mountains or drugs or alcohol or relationships or whatever it is apart from God, we are as silly as my son Banyan going to the best beach in the country and eating the sand. And it seems obvious that he's being silly there. Like, oh yeah, he's just a child. It's like that's exactly what we do when we say, no thanks God. You made me, but I'm going to find joy and satisfaction which continually pervades our grasp in the things that you made. And so there's the struggle for our joy. The struggle for our joy is in our propensity toward false worship. And so the psalmist wants to not only talk about the problem, he wants to talk about the solution. He wants to give us uh, an answer to that problem. So he comes in verse 8 as we continue. Actually, the end of verse 7, he says, Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears about this, and they're glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. What the psalmist comes and says here is he says, we're to worship him. And then he says, here's why Zion and the daughters of Judah are able to be glad and able to rejoice. He says, because, that's a hinge word, that's a real huge indicator when we're reading scripture and we see a word like because or for, it's saying, man, this is the basis, this is the foundation of why these people are able to be glad and able to rejoice. It says, because of your judgments, O Lord, because of the justice of the character of who God is. And then he says, because, again, he continues to ground it in verse 9, because you, O Yahweh, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all all gods. See, we were created by God and for God, and the only place that we can find satisfaction and true joy is not in the things that God made, but in the God who made us. And the psalmist wants to come in here, and he wants to say, man, the absolute greatest news in all of existence is the fact that God has come, and that news alone can produce true and lasting joy in your lives. It's not a bunch of principles. It's not a bunch of steps that you implement. It's about a person. And ultimately about a person, Jesus Christ, who has come and showed us the very glory and beautiful reality of who God is. And what he's like. I mean, that is what Christmas is about. It's so easy for us to kind of tie our joy to circumstances and to situations. It's easy to kind of have a glib kind of giddy, emotional thinking about joy that's tied to Christmas decorations and Toll House cookies and eggnog. And he wants to come in here and say, no, that's not the foundation and the source of true joy. It's only found in the very character and nature and reality of who God is. It's not in the shifting and ever-changing realities and circumstances and situations that you find yourselves in. It is in the unchanging, never-failing, never-ending, ever-faithful God who made you. 
And yet for so many of us, I mean, I get it. It's hard. I mean, even just this past, even just this past couple months for my family, like, I think about how my scooter got stolen and my bike in the same week. A month later, my wife gets T-boned. Our car is considered totaled by the insurance company. Two days after that accident, I praise God she wasn't hurt. I praise God Banyan wasn't in the car. Two days after that happens, we're borrowing a friend's car. We're driving on the interstate back from the mountains, and all of a sudden, smoke is billowing in our face, and we break down in the middle of the interstate, and we're taking our son like a frogger across the interstate in, in four, three lanes of traffic. It's like all these traumatic experiences, one after the other, and then the even more traumatic experience of dealing with insurance companies. It's like so easy in those moments to not believe this. It's so hard to fight for this in the midst of that. It's so easy to just want to find my joy and be like, well, God must not be for me because of all these things that I'm dealing with. And I I don't know, maybe for you, and I know for lots of people in their experience around the world, it's much worse. Maybe you're thinking that, that kind of getting in car accidents and losing vehicles and stuff is kind of trite. I know a lot of you are dealing with, with miscarriages or, or with loved ones who, who, who are sick or who are even being taken away from you. Or I think, about, I think about all the stuff going on throughout the globe right now, throughout the world right now. You know, immediately we're thinking San Bernardino. You know, I'm thinking Paris. I'm thinking Syria. It's like, what do we do with that? And I don't want to just come in here, and the psalmist doesn't want to just come in here and say, like, put a smile on your face, Christian. Pull up your bootstraps and just be happy. He's not coming and saying, well, you can just be happy if you would just find the silver lining in it all. What you're doing, the problem is, is is that you're just not focusing on all the good things God's given you. Don't think about the bad, just think about the good. Just think about all the good things. No, that's bull. That's not what the psalmist is saying. He's not saying it's in the gifts that the giver gives. He says it's in the giver himself. That alone is the source of true joy. The reason it pervades our grasp is because we so often seek for it in all the wrong places. And God is saying, man... This Christmas season, in the midst of all your pain, in the midst of all your suffering, your trials, whatever it is that you're going through, I'm going to give you myself. The absolute greatest news of all is that God has come. God's coming is the absolute greatest news of all, and it alone can produce the most true, resounding, lasting, genuine joy from all. God's coming is the absolute greatest news of all and can alone produce true joy from all. That's what the psalmist wants us to find ourselves in this morning. And even as we think about that, God isn't saying I'm going to take away all the pain and the suffering, but he is saying, man, I'm going to show you that I care about that by sending my son. Not only is he going to come, but he's going to come and he's going to suffer in our place. He's going to know the suffering and the junk that we deal with. 
He's ultimately going to die in our place, purchase our forgiveness so that we can be forgiven and set right with the God who made us so that we can be restored to what we were intended for, which is to find our joy, our worth, our satisfaction, our identity, our everything in the God who made us rather than in the things that God has made. We see this most clearly in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So Christian, if you're struggling this morning, I resonate with that. I feel that. I empathize with that. And I don't want to just give a trite answer of, and neither does God, of coming in and just saying, find the silver lining in it all. But rather to come and truly find your joy and your hope in the God who has come to us. Would we fight for, to believe that the absolute greatest news of all is that God has come and that this news alone can produce true joy from all. Will we see that in the person of Jesus Christ this morning and in the rhythms of our lives? So I just want to end right here where the psalm does. Rejoice in Yahweh, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Jesus, we just pray that this morning, knowing that for many of us, Christmas isn't necessarily marked by fond memories and warm, fuzzy feelings. For many of us, it's marked by pain and hurt and tragedy. And you come and you call us to joy in the midst of that. You call us to find our gladness, our satisfaction, our happiness in you, and that is not always easy. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to us, that you would comfort us this morning. Whatever we're going through, that we would not just turn to, to find joy or happiness in, in our situations or in our circumstances, but that we would look to the unchanging, faithful character of who you are and what you are about in this world. We thank you for giving us yourself and that we can see that in Jesus. And we pray that you would just turn our hearts to that. Empower us to fight for that this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as we kind of close our time this morning of preaching, we get to move into a time of response, into a time of, uh, of responding to the reality of who God is. And we have a couple ways that we can do that. Uh, we're going to be singing songs we're going to be singing songs of worship where we can just declare back with joy, even in, even in suffering, where we can declare back to God how much we need him and how much we love him and how we desire and long to find our satisfaction in him. I think we're probably going to have people who can be around to pray with you if you just need prayer in the midst of whatever it is. And we would love to pray for you and to pray with you. We're also going to respond through the taking of communion. We do this every week, 
really intentionally and for, for the reason of allowing our hearts to be moved to a place of response. Man, we are called throughout the Bible to celebrate and to remember who Jesus is and particularly what he's done in purchasing our forgiveness at the cross where his blood is shed on our behalf so that we can be made right with God. It's not just remembering what Jesus has done in the past, though. It's also an anticipatory thing that we're doing as we approach the table. We remember what Christ has done in his first coming, and we anticipate and we celebrate what he's going to do in his return when we will drink the cup and eat of the bread anew with him at the table together without sin, without idolatry, without any of that to hinder us. And so can we just remember that and receive that this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, come to the table in humility, but also in celebration and joy and excitement over what God has done on our behalf to make us restored in fellowship with him. And so as, as you're ready... And as the Spirit leads, you come and you take the bread and you dip it in the wine and you proclaim what Christ has done in the gospel of the life, death, and resurrection.